Thank you, Taylor, for bringing our message last week. Isn't that you back there, Taylor? Ashley's uh, just about to have that baby. So Taylor's here, but Ashley stayed home today. I think she may have that baby this week even. It's close. I am glad to be back with you. I missed being with you last Sunday, but grateful for Taylor uh, bringing God's Word. And today we're in Galatians chapter 4, starting with verse 8. And we're dealing with the last part of Paul's explanation of why it is God's grace plus nothing that saves a person and brings them into relationship with God. It is all grace. Anytime that Paul wanted to talk about being right with God, he wanted to talk about grace. And he said that's where grace alone can be the center of the discussion when we're talking about justification, being made right with God. Grace plays a great part in every day. But he reiterates it here as he talks to these Galatians who seem to have forgotten one of the basic lessons that he taught them. Verse 8 says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you. Brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? These people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. A very personal word in a letter that Paul the Apostle wrote to the churches in Galatia. Uh, using these terms of endearment, he realizes that he has delivered a, a pretty severe message to them. And here in these verses, he is seeking to help them understand the context of his love and calling them dear children. But he is truly perplexed about them. 
I got to my seat in the airplane coming back from uh, Phoenix, and there was a, there's a large man in my chair. I had the aisle seat, which I wanted, and he was twice as big as me, but he got up and scooted to the middle. I said, you're pretty big to be sitting in the middle seat. And he acknowledged he was. Turned out he was a realtor, probably 35 years old. We introduced ourselves, had a little chit-chat. Plane takes off. I'm sitting there. And he says, are you divorced? I said, nope. Been married to the same woman for 43 years. He said, just like my parents. They've been married 40 years. I was hoping that would happen to me. Said, but I've just gone through a divorce. It's been pretty tough. She wants to change the custody for the boys, ages 10 and 7. She thinks it disturbs their schedule to spend the night with me every Monday night. What do you think? So I talked a little bit about what I thought. And in the course of it, I mentioned my church. I don't, I don't remember the context. So he went silent for a while, and then he said, Why the church? Two questions. Are you divorced? Three words. Second question. Why the church? I took that opportunity to explain the gospel to him and to tell him the story of God's grace in my own life, how God stopped me in my tracks and brought me to faith in Christ. And he was somewhat interested in the story, had a little bit of a religious background, not much. I've thought a lot since then about his question. Why the church? Why the church? Why are you here? Why are you part of the church? A lot of people are now saying, oh, I'm not religious. I don't go to church. Maybe more so than there used to be. I think statistically it's true. You may need to answer the question yourself. Why the church in you and in your life? The more I reflect upon it, the more I think that the answer to why the church for me is this. It is the grace place. It's where I learned about God's grace. It's where I experienced God's grace. It's where I learned more about the grace of God. And I see the grace of God extended to me through people. The church is the grace place. And that's my answer for why the church, at least in part. God knowing us is grace. The apostle says, formerly, before you knew God, you behaved in various ways, but now you know Him or are known by Him. Formerly, they did not know God. Does he mean they didn't know anything at all about God? 
I don't think so. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about how any human eyes can look at mountains and the skies and the trees and the butterflies and conclude there is a God, He is powerful, and He is in charge. His eternal power and divine nature are evident for all humans to see. And most humans pay attention to that. Most humans observe the world and the gift of life and they conclude that there is someone beyond themselves who has delivered this to them. And so the vast majority of people on the planet in our generation and throughout history have been what you might call religious, believing in a power greater than themselves. And that would be true today for the vast majority of people on the earth. So if somebody says to you, I'm not religious, probably what they mean is, I don't practice any religious system except my own. I haven't bought into any religious system. So we have a kind of knowledge of God that is general. But the knowledge that Paul refers to here, formerly when you did not know God, he was talking about when you did not know God through Jesus Christ. For Jesus himself said, and I'm going to quote Jesus here, okay? No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. That's the kind of knowledge of God that they did not have prior to the proclamation of the gospel. So we are the recipients of a wonderful grace. We have received grace in that we have received the good news of the gospel. We know about Jesus and we know God through Jesus. That God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sin. And this is magnificent and wonderful knowledge of God. And it goes beyond anything you can observe in flowers and butterflies. It is a special kind of revelation of God. And it fills out the picture of God to the fullest extent. Formerly, you didn't know God like this. But after I told you about Jesus and how he died on the cross for your sin... Now you know God in a way you didn't know him before. And brothers and sisters in the room, Jesus is the answer to the question, how do you know God? Jesus is the answer for us. Jesus is the answer. When someone asks, how do you know this? You go right to Jesus and talk about how Jesus has revealed the Father unto you. We see the Father most fully in the words and teachings and life and experiences and history and particularly in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So we know God. Now you've come to know him, the apostle says, or rather, you are known by him. Hey, hey, that's something special. It's one thing to know him. It's another thing to be known by him. If I tell you, I know Drew Brees, you might say, doesn't everybody? (laughs) 
Yeah, but I actually know Drew Brees. But if I tell you he knows me, and if you say David Crosby to him, he'll know who I am. Hey, that's a little different, isn't it? To be known by God is a really special and wonderful thing. Jesus taught about it all the time. And I want you to think about how you are known by the God who created everything, okay? He knows you. For instance, he knows how many hairs are left on your head. The very hairs of your head are numbered. Think about the knowledge of God of you. God knows every need that you have before you ask it, Jesus said. That's how well God knows you. You are known by God. Jesus said, not one sparrow falls to the ground without your father knowing. Be of good cheer. Hey, be happy. Cheer up. You are of more value than many sparrows. If God knows about the sparrow, Jesus says, God surely knows intimately and thoroughly about you. Don't you wish sometimes that people actually knew you? I mean, there is something about us that wants to be known. And sometimes we'll say, they don't really know me. They don't know who I am. They don't know what makes me tick. They talk about me. They talk like they know me, but they really don't know me. And sometimes we feel like there's nobody on the planet who really knows us. It is comforting and joyful and a source of great delight to know that the Creator God knows you. And this is a gift of His grace, see? He could ignore you. He could seal you off. He could be distant from you. Instead, He says, I know you, I love you, I care about you. And when you say, Abba, of the seven billion people on the face of the earth, I recognize the nuance of your call and I know immediately who you are. This thorough and wonderful knowledge of Abba, when you call on him, that he knows you like this, is the delight of life. And it is who God is. Some of you have a picture of God that you need to demolish. This picture of the austere and distant and stern judge who cares little for you but except that you keep his rules. This picture of God that is cold and far away. You need to get rid of that picture. That's not who God is. That's not God. And if you keep that in your mind, you have an idol. You've created an idol in your mind. That's not the Father. The most accurate picture of God the Father anywhere is the picture Jesus gives. And he's the one who teaches us to call God Abba. When you pray, say, Our Father. Because this is who. God really is. To be known by 
God. This is deliverance. You were enslaved previously, but now you are known by him, the personal, loving God who made you and cares for you. It is pure grace that God should do so. He says then, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you see that in verse 9? Turning back, that's misery. The apostle Paul delivered this great word of grace to the Galatians. He told them about the love of God made evident in Jesus. And now they're sliding back into their old religious systems and their old religious ways. He says, why are you turning back? Turning back is misery. I experienced this misery at the DFW airport last week. I put the GPS on where I wanted to go to get out of the airport. I was so delighted that I'd made it in record time from Goldthwaite to DFW Airport. Everybody was amazed. I just came without a hitch right there. And then the GPS tells me to do a U-turn. <laughs> so I do a U-turn and the GPS takes me right back to the terminal I'd left about 15 minutes earlier. I was so disgusted. It is the GPS that did this because I put the right address in. And somehow it changed. It was a glitch. I don't know why. But it took me to the north exit instead of to the south exit. And from then on, I was in a mess. I-35 was tore up. There was repairs going on everywhere. I couldn't get off. I was nearly out of gas. It was a mess. That's what turning back does to me. I hate to go back. Turning back is misery. Why are you turning back to these weak and miserable forces, he says. And when I first read weak and miserable, I think about gods of wood and stone and maybe even silver and gold that these pagans made, these Gentiles made. I'm thinking, well, that must be these weak and miserable forces. He must be talking about these pagan, these Gentiles. But then he goes on to talk about the Sabbath or the new moons and the weeks and the special days and things like that. And that sounds like the old Judaism. And so weak and miserable forces are not just the idols of the pagans who were in the churches of Galatia. They're also the idols of the religious system of the Jews who were in the churches in Galatia. That too is a weak and miserable force. The law in its proper place as a teacher to bring you to Christ is powerful and good. But if you try to elevate the law and make those systems and regulations and those special days and that Sabbath day, if you make that the way that you know God, you've just turned it into a weak and miserable thing. It's not powerful enough to reconcile you with God. Don't go back to the weak and miserable. Once you've embraced the grace of the Lord Jesus, grace is the unearned, an undeserved favor of God. I hope you can remember that simple definition of grace. Grace is God's favor on you, his blessing on you that is unearned and undeserved. You haven't earned it and you don't deserve it. But God gives it. And it is wonderful. It is marvelous and it's just what you need because you know in yourself you can't do it. You can't keep the regulations, you can't keep the rules, you can't be good enough. You just can't clean yourself with those commands. 
in heart, in mind, and indeed you violate the commands and you know it. And sometimes you whittle on the commands and you try to make them less offensive and easier to keep, hoping that if you could get a list that you could actually keep, then maybe you'd feel like you were right with God. But it's no way to pursue justification, that is, being right with God. It is by grace we are made right with God. And all this other is weak and miserable stuff. It hadn't been too long ago when somebody said, well, you should be worshiping on a Sabbath day. That's Saturday, not Sunday. Because if you worship on Sunday, the first day of the week, I guess God doesn't hear you. You can pray, but he's not listening. He only tunes in on Saturday. Now, that seems ridiculous to us. But there are people who actually believe that this is just wrong. What are you doing here on Sunday? For heaven's sakes, doesn't the command say, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? You think God's listening on Sunday? It is an illustration of a special day. See, there are some people who believe that if you just get all these stuff, these things right, like what day and what feast you're going to keep and what special hour and what place you're going to be, that if you configure all the times and places just right, you can manipulate the deity to make him do exactly what you want him to do. See, if you get the system down right, God has to deliver for you. And that is paganism. That is magic. That's not what Jesus taught us. Jesus taught us we are saved by grace and God is Abba and he loves you and he wants to bring you into his presence and you just say, Lord, I need you and cry out for his forgiveness of your sin and he loves to forgive and brings you into his family. It's a relationship of grace. That's what it is. And all of the special days and the holidays and things like that, they cannot make you right with God. Watch out, because sometime, someplace in the, in the future, you're going to hear a preacher or a teacher, somebody say to you, you're not doing it right. And if you just get the rules and regulations right, then heaven will open up to you, and you'll be the kind of person you ought to be, and you'll get the rules right, and then you'll be related to God. And people like to slip back into it because it gives them something to do. We all want something to do. It's tough on our pride for it just to be grace. All God and not us. You mean I don't get to do anything? Surely I got to help in my salvation. How can I help? Maybe I can keep these special feasts and all of that. It's okay. In fact, it's important for you to have a discipline in your spiritual walk. That's important. That's not how you get saved. It's not how you become a child of God. That only happens through the grace of God. So these special days, they were indications that folks who had heard about the grace of God in Jesus were now slipping back into the old Jewish calendar. And people were telling them, oh yeah, it's good that you know Jesus, but remember, you got to worship on the Sabbath and you got to keep the feast and you've got to do this and that and once you do that then God will be pleased with you don't go there it's a message of grace and the apostle Paul is perplexed he says why 
why on earth are you struggling with these things? It's so easy to, to start supposing that the way I am practicing my faith in Christ, that the rules and regulations I have, what I wear, where I sit, how we behave, what I do on Monday morning, that these regulations are themselves the means of my salvation. So easy to slip into the notion that other people ought to do it just like me. And if they will follow the rules and regulations that I've fallen into, then God will be pleased with them just like God is pleased with me. And Paul is saying that these human regulations that we have about what you ought to wear, how you ought to dress, where you ought to be, what days you ought to do certain things, they are weak and miserable, and they cannot deliver on the promises. In order to emphasize that, he talks about his illness. See, people who believe that if you keep all the rules and regulations just right, you can manipulate the deity. Well, they suppose that if you do all the rules and regulations right, you're going to be prosperous, you're going to be healthy. This is the health and wealth idea. That all you've got to do is keep these certain rules and regulations, the dietary laws and all these things, whatever they're suggesting to you, and then you're going to have wealth and you're going to have prosperity and you're going to be healthy. So Paul talks to them about his weakness, which he often does. He comes so often in weakness. He believes in grace. He believes in being saved by grace. And so he says, illness is opportunity. He says, don't you remember? It was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. They've been talking to him about being weak anyway. That he's kind of a miserable apostle or maybe no apostle at all. They've been saying things like that about him. And now in the midst of this discussion on the preeminence of the grace of God in our salvation, he introduces this notion that he was weak, that he was ill. People don't know what this illness is. Some folks think that it was a beating he had received perhaps for being a faithful representative of Jesus and preaching the gospel that he got to Galatia and he was weak because he had been bleeding from wounds on his back and he'd been mistreated and persecuted for the cause of Christ. Some people think that's the case. That's why he showed up there weak and beaten and so they took him in. Maybe he was going to pass them by. Maybe he was on his way somewhere else, but he couldn't go there. Other folks say, you know, he might have had dysentery or a lot of other things that were happening in that geographical place at that time in history. He could have had one of those illnesses, and so he showed up with a fever, and he just couldn't go on. For whatever reason, God stopped him so that he could tell the Galatians about the good news of Jesus. The Apostle Paul lived life with his pedal to the metal. I think that about it. That's how I read him. He's just fire. He's just zealous. He's just full of energy. And he wants to get the job done. And God sometimes just has to say, look, I want you to write a letter. You're going to jail. And he ends up in jail. What's he doing in jail? His most important works. What he does, he writes his letters. And maybe in Galatia, God said, I know you're going to blow on through here, Paul, but I'm stopping you. You're going to get sick. Or you've been beat up. And you're going to need these folks who never heard about Jesus to take care of you. He says, 
my illness was a trial to you. I'm not sure that anybody in Galatia would say that. Oh yeah, Paul got here. <laughs> what a mess that man was. We had to take care of him. And they would be complaining about what a burden he was. Paul describes himself as a burden on them, as a trial for them. But I doubt they would have, at least in their good times, described it at all that way. No, the illness had a two-way avenue of grace. Paul collapses among these people, unable to go on. And as he recovers, and as they treat him, he tells them about Jesus. Do you know anybody who did that in a hospital? I know a lady who tells everybody about Jesus when she's in the hospital. She's laying flat on her back and no doctor or nurse comes in there without hearing about Jesus. I suspect that maybe God says, uh-oh, I better get her in the hospital. Here comes somebody needs to hear. You say, would God do that? Don't connect your faithfulness to God to health and prosperity. It might be more connected to your weakness and your illness like it was for Paul here. Here, he had the opportunity to share God's grace with the people who cared for him and they had the opportunity to minister to him See, it was in the illness that Paul experienced that these Galatians found Jesus. They were taking care of him in kindness, and God did the greatest kindness to them. He introduced them to his son Jesus. Now, I love this because that's what care effect is all about, all right? What is the effect of care? The effect of care is that I become a conduit for the grace of God, both if I am the sick one and if I am the one caring for the one who is sick. And if there is sickness in my family and my aunt is sick or my cousin is sick or my neighbor is sick, I need to see that as a moment of God's grace for it could be like the Apostle Paul in this illness. God is going to use me or use them. Somehow he's going to bring his grace to that point of need. Oftentimes, people who are strong and they're happy and they feel like they're doing so good, when you talk about the forgiveness of God in Christ and his grace, they think, what do I need grace for? Some of them feel that way, but they don't feel that way when they're flat on their back in the hospital. Or when they've just been through a divorce or a bankruptcy and life has dealt them a blow they never anticipated, they never saw it coming and all of a sudden here they are. And God uses it as an opportunity for grace. Brothers and sisters, that's why love of neighbor is connected to the fellow who got beat up by the side of the road. That's why Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan how do you love your neighbor? You watch for the guy who is ill, who is sick, who is hurting. And you love him in Jesus' name. You care for him and you become a conduit of God's grace. So both when you're flat on your back and when another is so, God opens up the opportunity for caring concern, love of neighbor, and a conduit 
for the grace of God. See, this body's getting old, all right? It doesn't matter how well I follow Jesus, how obedient I am, this body's still going to get old. I was bouncing on the trampoline just yesterday morning. And I've been doing a lot of trampoline stuff in my lifetime. And I bounced up and I went down and I landed on my bottom and my hip hurt. Never happened before. I thought, what in the world is wrong with my hip? And I took my wallet out. It is very thin, but I took it out. And I did it again and it still hurt. Okay, something's going on with my hip. What in the world is wrong? I walk, sometimes I run, I exercise, I try to eat right, and look here, my hip is hurting. What in the world have I done wrong? Maybe nothing. It's just this body gets old. If you connect your health and well-being to the grace of God in your life and you say, I am experiencing God's grace only when I am healthy and doing well, then when you get sick or someone you love dies, what are you going to say then? Are you going to say, well, I guess I'm outside of the grace of God. The, the Galatians had this sense of being blessed. They just felt so blessed when Paul first delivered the word of grace to them. And now over here, sometime later, he says, where is that sense of blessing you had? What happened to your joy? Why don't you feel the favor of God in your life anymore? Well, they switched from living in grace to keeping the laws and supposing that God's favor was connected to the laws instead of to his grace. Hey, good news, good news. Everybody in the room can be the recipient of God's grace. You can open your heart to the God who loves you and receive Christ as Savior and Lord. As you hear the Spirit draw you by His grace, you can come. You say, what must I do? Believe. Believe and be saved. Bow with me, please. Father in heaven, thank you that even in our infirmity and our weakness, you work, that you are strong in us when we are weak. Lord, thank you that you open opportunities of grace when we stumble, when we fall, when we sorrow, when we hurt, and when others around us do so as well. So, Lord, tune us in to what you're doing in our life and the lives of others when these circumstances come our way. And help us to be ready with the word of grace in the time of need We pray in Jesus' name, amen.